Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. Now, if you've been listening carefully, you know the shorthand is the number of welcomes tells you how many people are on the panel today. We have a packed house. It is four. So I want to say, as always, if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in absolutely the right place. Let's get started. What's the buzz on the street today? Are you stressed? Join the crowd, my goodness. Let's look at some statistics here. A whopping 78% of employers back in the 2013-14 Staying at Work survey, this is still probably very relevant and could be even worse, identified stress as their number one workforce risk. We have a solution. I'll tell it to you in just a moment. But let's look at the workplace. Individuals, managers, and senior executives are all facing tough challenges. They want to have less stress, less risk. They want to thrive. They want to survive. They want to help the company grow. How can they overcome these challenges and prevail? Well, that's going to be the focus of our show today. We're going to do it a little differently. But here's the solution I promised you. Two words. They start with R. Radical resiliency. Where did this come from? It's a term coined by our panelist and good friend Eileen McDarr. If you want to look her up, it's a little tricky. M-C-D-A-R-G-H. The G-H is silent like a pirate. McDarr. She says that radical resiliency means growing through challenge or opportunity. Now, I said challenge or opportunity. That's something that may be negative and may be potentially very positive. Growing through challenge or opportunity to become, here's the payoff, wiser, smarter, and better on the other side. Now, come on, be honest, look in the mirror. Who wouldn't love this in everyday life as an individual, as a manager, as an employee, as a startup person, as a senior executive, as a thought leader? This is something in our crazy, crazy world we all could use more of. So let me just do a little tiny review here before I introduce my panelists. little review of what we covered on our previous episode on radical resiliency a few months ago. We defined it as adaptability, reframing, and intelligence intelligent optimism. We'll get into all of this later. Question on the table is always, are you born with radical resiliency? Or even more important, can you learn it? Okay, that's a big topic we'll cover again today. Now let's look at stratification of the cohorts, the demographics in the workplace. Five demographics working side by side. If that isn't stressful, I don't know what is. But the question is the M's, the millennials. Are they more resilient? Are they less resilient than people like me and a couple of our panelists who are probably bonafide card-carrying baby boomers, OMG. We're going to talk a little bit about inner knowingness as the key to resiliency do you know what makes you, you? This is very existential, but it's very practical. We will get into it. And how about disruption? The world is being disrupted. Digital transformation, workplace challenges, culture challenges, new markets opening up, new competition, and other things we don't even want to talk about. So that's a lot of what we covered in the last part. And thank you to my colleague at SAP News Services, Jackie Prouse, for covering these for us and summarizing a great 
previous episode. So let me tell you who my panelists are and then we'll get started because they've all sent me wonderful opening quotes. We're going to be speaking in just a moment with, I mentioned her already, Eileen McDar, who is the CEO and that's Chief Energy Office Officer at the Resiliency Group. I love that title. Joining us also is Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, and he is now an IBM Future of Work futurist. And a big thank you to Bill for coming up with this new format we're using today where we'll have two key topic questions. Joining us are newcomers Dr. Terry Paulson from Paulson and Associates. He is a PhD psychologist, a national columnist, professional speaker, and author of several popular books. And rounding out the panel is our good friend, our new friend, Kathy Dempsey. She's the president of Keep Shedding exclamation point Inc and founder of the shedding revolution and in a few minutes Kathy will tell us how shedding and radical resiliency go hand in hand beautifully so let's get started first up I'm very pleased to welcome back Eileen McDar CEO chief energy officer of the resiliency group and Eileen has picked a quote from Winnie the Pooh so I have to say Winnie the Pooh wherever you are welcome to Game Changers Radio and Winnie the Pooh uh, is a character based on A.A. Milne's beloved Winnie the Pooh stories the Disney media franchise started in 1965 with the theatrical release of the short film Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree. And uh, just for those of you who love voiceovers, Sebastian Cabot narrated the adventures of the bumbling bear Winnie the Pooh. So here's the quote Eileen has picked. It is more fun to talk with someone who doesn't use long, difficult words, but rather short, easy words like, what about lunch, Eileen? (laughs) I've never started a show with Winnie the Pooh. How are you, Eileen? I'm great. I'm great. And I guess you wonder why I chose that quote. I certainly do. And how does this have to do with your very serious term you coined, radical resiliency? And welcome back, Eileen. Such a pleasure. Well, two things. Number one, I think laughter is a great resiliency skill. And we all chuckle when we, we read Winnie the Pooh and some of the things he says. But underneath that laughter, there's also something very serious. It's when we are going through whether it is stress or opportunity and we are feeling anxiety, We don't need people to lecture us in big, long words. We really want someone to sit with us, sit over lunch. Let me talk about the way I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. So I think Winnie has a a great notion here that's um, one of the things that can be very helpful in times of stress. So tell me something. Big words. Are those antithetical to, are are those part of what we're trying to be radically resilient about, (laughs) Eileen? algorithm for a Because when you think about it, you, you know, there are websites, Eileen, I'm sure everybody in the panel has seen these, where if you want to do what used to be called corporate speak or buzzwords, you just go and put in a couple of buzzwords, and then they put them together in a new phrase, and you're just supposed to, you know the, you know the term, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with mm-mm, which we don't say on the show, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, are, are people getting away from big words and big terms, long, difficult words, and trying to simplify? Is that part of resiliency? an interesting question, Bonnie. I, I picked the Winnie the Pooh quote because of going to lunch, not so much necessarily <laughs> the big words. <laughs> it's the, see, to me, it's not the big words. That's what Winnie the Pooh says, but it's can we talk simply, just like Bill Johnson says, how can we talk simply about what's going on in our life? And oftentimes, if it is over... When we share a meal, we share. There's, there's a reason why all great religions of the world share meals as part of their celebration, um, because it allows us to be very human. And I think that's what resiliency is about. It's pretend, not pretending that I've got it all together, but seeing there are times in which I really don't. So that's really why I chose that, not so much the long words. 
Well, I like it, but you know I always pick these quotes apart. That's just who I am. So thank you, Eileen. And you have just invoked the name of our second panelist. So happy to welcome back Mr. Simplicity. I think that's part of the core radical resiliency. Of course, it's Bill Jensen. You want to look him up. Jensen is spelled J-E-N-S-E-N. And he has quoted a marvelous statement from Captain John Luke Picard of Star Trek. And those of you who don't remember, Captain Picard is a fictional character in the Star Trek The Next Generation. Generation franchise, and let's see, where did the name come from? Star Trek, Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry named Picard for one or both of the twin brothers Auguste Picard with two C's and Jean Felix Picard, twentieth-century Swiss scientist. That's all I'll say. Here is the quote: "What we leave behind is not as important as how we lived." Mister Simplicity, how are you today? I'm doing wonderfully, Bonnie. Thank you. And I thought and I you would say you're simply wonderful, Bill. Simply wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that quote seems apt today because this week the next Star Trek movie comes out. And my father-son activity with my 29-year-old since he was a little child was going to see every single Star Trek movie and playing hooky. So this weekend I will be playing hooky from work with my son. I love that. Now, tell me something. How does this, uh, well, radical resiliency, are you being radical by following the Star Trek franchise, or are you being resilient by saying, even though my son is 29, we're going to go see it together, or any both. of the above? <laughs> both. <laughs> Many of his childhood values who didn't, that didn't come from his parents came from Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, so the resiliency and the radicalness comes from Jean-Luc and his parents. Wow. Thank you very much, Bill. Pleasure to have you back. Looking forward to your insights. And thank you again for helping uh, reorganize how we're going to do the show. We're going to have just two topic questions rather than just floating around with the discussion statements provided by each panelist because we have such a packed house. This is going to work well. So thank you, Bill. And now let's bring on one of our two brand newbies, two game changers. First is Dr. Terry Paulson, as I mentioned, Paulson and Associates. And Terry has sent me a quote from Eric Byrne, and I found found out that Eric Byrne is a psychiatrist, so we'll call him Dr. Eric Byrne. He lived from 1910 to 1970. Those are nice round bookends. He was very young, obviously. A Canadian-born psychiatrist who, in the mid-20th century, created the theory of transactional analysis as a way of explaining human behavior. Interesting, in 1939, Terry, I don't know if you know this, Byrne became an American citizen, and he shortened his name. It was originally Eric Leonard, L-E-N-N-A-R-D, Bernstein. No relation to Leonard with the O, Bernstein. And he shortened it to Eric Byrne. He was admitted as a fellow in the American Psychiatric Association 10 years later in 49. And his theory of transactional analysis was based on the ideas of Freud, but according to Wikipedia, we're distinctly different. Okay, we'll just leave that alone. And one other thing. Byrne was one of the first psychiatrists to apply game theory to the field of psychiatry, along with famed psychiatrist, psychoanalyst Thomas Saz, S-C-A-S-Z. That's an interesting one. Here's the quote Terry has picked. A healthy person goes, yes, no, and whoopee. An unhealthy person goes, yes, but, no, but, and no whoopee. <laughs> Terry Paulson. <laughs> Got me laughing. That, after all those credentials about what Eric Byrne did and who he was, to come up with a simple, concise statement about what life is about. It's, it's about choices. It's about living life. And too many people spend their life in analysis paralysis, waiting for the right time, the right place, the right action, and the right opportunity. And he was all about making a, making a move. 
Wayne well, Gretzky, tell me, uh, was yeah, a, go ahead. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, great hockey player, and an early coach once said to him when he was frustrated with his lack of scoring, pulled him aside in the locker room and said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. I believe life about a radical, resilient person is you build a habit of bouncing back, and when you build that habit, you're much more likely of continuing to find the open doors and the opportunities in your life that come your way when you're under pressure, when you've got to find a way out. What about that pressure? We're, we're going to be talking about it in context of individuals today, Terry, as well as in the workplace. Um, do you think individual, the individual stress permeates into their ability to manage and their ability to be rising up, whether it's a senior executive, a mid-level executive, a business owner, a leader, anything above what we'll call just the line workers. Do you think that people bring that stress to work and it flavors everything they do, everything they say? Any thoughts on that? Well, number one, I think sometimes we give stress a bad name. Uh, stress with the demands that are placed upon us, and and the absence of stress is boredom. I mean, you know, I, I hate boredom. I hate sitting in a place going, well, gee, another minute's gone by. I'm excited. Uh, what gives us meaning, what gives us a, is that energy, is knowing the demands are placed on us. Now, the real trick is, how do you find that ability to find that middle zone where you have enough demands, enough stress to be excited, to be able to be creative and innovative, and not so much that you become distracted to a point where you can no longer function effectively. And I, I think that's a challenge everyone faces. I need a certain amount of stress, but let's manage it and focus our energies to where we can keep bouncing over the obstacles that we need to. Uh, I mean, not every battle is worth fighting. Terry, you are bringing back to mind two things, just very quick stories that happened when I was uh, young and not quite so young. I was uh, taking piano lessons for many, many years, classical music, and I remember just being terrified of the recital. I don't know how many people in this call had to go through, the piano teacher is having a recital. You will get dressed up. You will sit on this at this piano you've never seen before, and you will play for all the parents and siblings, and everybody will say, yay, that was wonderful, whether you, you were terrible or not, and those nerves. And I remember somebody saying to me, just before I, it was my turn, they said, nerves are good. If you weren't nervous, it would mean you don't care. You're not engaged. They didn't use that word back in the day, but it would mean that it's not important to you. They said the nerves are a good thing, and it means you're going to do a really good job. You're going to do your best, number one. Number two, I started out as a stand-up comic. It's another hobby back in the I don't know mid-1990s, and I was about to go on stage at Caroline's with a bunch of newbies. There were hundreds of people in the audience. Of course, they were all family and friends, but they paid real ticket prices. And somebody said to me, you want to harness those nerves. Don't think about a drink. Don't think about a pill. Go on stage, use that energy and let it help you be your best. Any thoughts on that, Dr. Oh, I, I love that because essentially you're talking about reframing the feeling that is a natural part of life. Yes. Instead of calling it anxiety, why don't I call it excitement? I'm excited about this opportunity. Now use that energy to help give you the kind of energy that you need to do a great performance. And, and you lived that at that time. Those, gave you, those people gave you some great advice. And look where you are now. <laughs> yeah, talking to brilliant people like you and Eileen and Bill and Kathy Dempsey about to be introduced here. So, And I'm not nervous at all. I'm just very excited. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Terry, for turning that mirror on me. I appreciate that. And now speaking of her, it's Kathy Dempsey. We'll hear a little about her personal story later. But Kathy, similar to Eileen, has picked a, uh, a familiar childhood 
favorite a name for her quote today. Kathy has, is the president of Keep Shedding! Exclamation point, and the founder of the Shedding Revolution. And she is quoting Dr. Seuss today. Those of you who, I don't know what rock you've been hiding under, but Dr. Seuss was around from 1904 to 1991, an American writer and illustrator who authored popular children's books under the pen name of Dr. Seuss. So his original name was Theodore Seuss, S-E-U-S-S, Geisel. He adopted Dr. Seuss as his pen name during his university studies at Dartmouth College and the University of Oxford. And I don't know if anybody in this call remembers, but his very first children's book was published in 1937. I should have a contest here, but I'll tell you the answer. And it was called To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street. I don't know anybody alive who hasn't read that book. Here is the quote among so many Kathy Dempsey has chosen for our show today from Dr. Seuss. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Kathy, I'm going to cry. This is so beautiful. How are you, Kathy Dempsey? I'm great. I'm great. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. We're, we're live. What day is it? July 20th already? OMG 2016. The year is hurtling, hurtling. So for our listeners all over the globe right now, Kathy, why did you pick a Dr. Seuss quote? Do you have a, a copy of to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street on your bookshelf. I know, but I'm going to have to get it because that's a bit a little bit of tri- trivia that I didn't know about. There you go. That's my job. So tell me something. How did you pick this beautiful quote for us? Well, I, I love this quote, and I think it, Dr. Seuss, in in a in a one sentence quote, really, really communicated. It's it's about moving on. It's about shedding. It's about not holding on to the past. It's it's about making, as Terry said, talking about a choice and making a choice about a positive perspective. And, you know, I've heard some controversy about this quote because people say, oh, Dr. Seuss didn't want us to cry, didn't want us to feel, didn't want us, you know, to, mm. to have any uh, emotions other than smiling about everything. That's unrealistic. Uh, and I don't think that that was the reason he intended this quote. I think it was really to say we have a choice. And if you look at it, we will lose everything, and we will lose everyone that we love in life. It, it's 100% guaranteed. And to be able to say, I'm going I'm to make a positive choice about how I see it. And, and I really see successful workers see temporary as the norm. They know that everything is temporary, nothing is permanent, and they don't get attached to what is. Kathy, I, I appreciate that. And not getting attached, that that's a tough one. We are a materialistic society. We get attached to things. I look at my closet and I say, oh, I remember when I wore that dress 20 years ago. Oh, those shoes, they don't fit anymore. But damn, they sure look good in the closet. I remember how fun it was wearing them. I can't get rid of them. Things like that. Are, are, we, are we overly attached to material? Do you think the millennials are getting away from this, Kathy? Uh, you know, I think we are overattached, and we're not only to material things, we're attached to our roles, we're attached to beliefs, we're attached to our stuff for sure. You know, this is my house or my car, or, you know, my. If you hear the word my, it's usually an indication that there's some form of attachment there. And um, so it, 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 I think we all struggle with attachment. 
Thank you. And we'll be talking about that in the context of resiliency later. And now you're all working so very hard to be here today. And I want to give you all a little break. But before we do, Eileen and Bill know what's coming next. And Terry and Kathy, I warned you. It's called the What's in Your Cup Today segment. I'm going to ask each of you in turn for just a little personal story. You can tell me where you're calling from because we're live here, as I said, July 20th, 2016. Where are you calling from? What time is it? If that's important, I'm here in New York. It's 1120 a.m. Eastern Time. And what are you drinking right now? any beverage at all that makes you happy, or what will you be drinking after the show? So, Eileen, why don't you kick us off here? Well, it's 821. I'm in Southern California. I can look out my office window, and I can see the ocean. It is, for Southern California, it's a little muggy, not compared to what it is in the Midwest or back there where you are. And in my cup, I have, because it is warm, I have raspberry lemonade with diet tonic. Not hot, it's cold. Wow, 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 wow. Well, that's certainly a creative drink. Do you feel happy when you drink that, Eileen? Does that make you feel resilient? <laughs> resilient, that's our key word. Are you resilient when you drink that or when you make it? Well, I, I mean, how can you drink lemonade and be serious? <laughs> of course, you have to be happy when you have lemonade, and it's only 8.20 in the morning. I'm delighted to be here with with my three friends. What what, what a great way to, to start a Wednesday. There you go. And would you say that that drink is a resiliency drink? Can we go along with the branding and say Eileen is, now has a resiliency drink? Come on, Eileen, well, take let, the lead. Let me put it this way. It's a lot, probably a lot healthier for me than uh, a shot of bourbon. Or something. <laughs> that's later. That's after the show. Okay, it's a good drink. <laughs> after the show, that's fine. Bill Jensen, where are you and what are you drinking to make you feel resilient today? I am in Morristown, New Jersey. Oh, I'll wave to you. Lafayette yeah, I'm waving. And mm-hmm. Washington and Hamilton all got together to plan the Revolutionary War. And it's also the birthplace of the American Seeing Eye Dog Association. <laughs> I see I see seeing eye dogs all the time in the streets. And what wow. I am drinking right now is water, but what I crave at the end of the day when I put my feet up is a craft beer of any kind, of any sort. That is radical resiliency. Craft beers were amazing 100 years ago. Then big corporations took over beers, and there were just a couple. Now there's this amazing resurgence all over the country of just fantastic craft brews. And I bet, Mr. Simplicity, that you've got one or two favorites. You want to drop a brand name and do a shout-out? We'd love to have you do that. Any thoughts? Anything that come to mind? Well, uh, you know, any of the seasonal ales, like Sam Adams or others do seasonal craft brews, so any of the major breweries like that. But I also like finding uh, little pubs and, and breweries out of nowhere. Uh, one that in upstate New York brews for San Francisco and New York neighborhoods specifically. It's called He Brew, an all-Jewish brewery, kosher brewery. Took me just a second there, but I got it. Hebrew. Okay. All right. And is there a sister brewery called Shebrew? Don't, don't, don't even, don't even. It's okay. Thank you very much, Bill. Dr. Terry Paulson, where are you and what's in your cup today? Or what do you play? Hills, California in my home. I was up early, had two cups of coffee, headed off to the gym and I'm back and I have a glass of water and I'll have water after this. Once you have had kidney stones, and I drink a gallon of water a day. I have the cleanest pipes in town because I don't want to have another one. <laughs> I think you just defined radical resiliency, Terry. Yeah. Eileen, yeah. do you think? 
Oh, I, I love think it. So. Yeah. I, think I had it's called taking when I, the first time I went to the hospital, action. they told me I had kidney stones. My son was in the waiting room with my wife, and and they had told her that I had stones. And my my son heard that, and a person said, "Well, what's your dad in for?" Well, I don't know why, but he must have swallowed stones. I didn't. He never <laughs> let me have any. <laughs> oh, adorable. Well, I'm glad you're stone free, and I won't even go anywhere with that that statement. And I'm, I'm we're very happy that you're drinking water, and I'll tell you my little drink secret here after after we ask Ms. Kathy Dempsey, where are you, Kathy, and what's in your uh, shedding always cup? What are you drinking today? Oh, wow, wow. Well, I'm calling in from Scottsdale, Arizona, and it is a left, uh, it is 825 here in Arizona, and I'm sitting here drinking a kale and spinach shake. Okay, let's stop the action right there. <laughs> That kind of drink always brings it to a halt because we're always so at, we're admiring. We're, so tell me a little more, Kathy. What goes into it? Do you have any agave? Do you have any stevia? Do you have any banana or any strawberries? Anything to sweeten it up? Because kale and spinach? Yeah, mm. yeah. I have a, a chocolate a plant protein, and then I have one banana and some raspberries and blueberries and a cup of spinach and a cup of kale, and I put it in the blender and... It is like a wonderful, wonderful green milkshake. Wow. And tell me something. Do you have any ice in it or is it room temperature? Yes, I have ice in it so it's cold. And I just look forward to every morning getting up and having my green shake. How did I know you had bananas and strawberries and, and ice in that? I don't know. I must have tried that at some point. I'm not that sophisticated with my morning drink. Thank you all. I will tell you, uh, Eileen and Bill must remember this. I only, um, I'm not allowed to have caffeinated beverages on radio show days. And this week it's four days, two shows each. So it's an eight show week and this is a wow, wow. week. So I'm drinking a lot of water, but I have it in a cool, clear cup with a straw and today is a green straw because I'm out of straws. So if we were talking about uh, sustainability or market success, competitiveness, uh, financial excellence, anything like that, my green straw would stand for money. But I'm just going to say the green straw is standing for the summer and the beautiful greenery I'm seeing outside of my window. Eileen, there's no ocean. It's just middle neck road and great neck, but there are trees everywhere. So this is a happy green straw for a happy green day. There you go. So I will tell my audience, I want to say thank you to our audience, by the way. We're already up record-breaking our numbers for last year. We know you're all over the world listening to us here on Game Changers. This is our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, the one I started, oh my goodness, five years ago in 2011. And we're so happy that you're listening, and we hope you enjoy the insights and the energy and the engagement of our thought leaders. And we have four wonderful speakers today. Our topic is radical resiliency. Start your engines, people, maybe with Kathy Dempsey's green drink, maybe with Eileen's lemonade. I don't know. But we're talking to Eileen McDar, Bill Jensen, Dr. Terry Paulson, Kathy Dempsey. It's a full house. And when we come back after this very quick break, we're going to talk about what does it take for individuals managers and senior executives to face those tough challenges and achieve radical resiliency for themselves and if they're in a managerial position or leadership their employees and for all of us our culture how do you overcome and prevail so i'm bonnie d graham and here's my what i'm just going to say is please 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 don't touch that mouse that app that dial we will be right back in about 75 seconds you can start counting right now justin out business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Absolutely. Here we are. We're talking about radical resiliency. We're going to do the show a little bit differently than we usually do. I have two topic questions today. They are huge questions. We have four panelists. They're all thought leaders. They're all insightful people with a lot of expertise, great observations, and they know what's going on in the world. They're going to help us figure this out. So the first question I'm going to pose to Eileen McDar to kick this off is, what are the toughest challenges every individual today faces in achieving radical resiliency, and what are your top three tips for managing and overcoming those challenges? Eileen, why don't you start this off, and then we'll go around the table. Go ahead, Eileen. Sure thing. I think the toughest challenge that individuals face is loss. And it's loss of any kind. It can be loss of a beloved. It can be loss of a physical part of our body for whatever reason. Uh, It can be loss of a job. And specifically, one of the things that makes it difficult is it also implies that there's loss of identity. So when someone, for whatever reason, gets a different job, loses that job, there is this this sense of, of emptiness. And so... Here are the top three tips on that. First, I think we need to allow ourselves to mourn for what was Mm. past. And I think Kathy's quote from Zeus says, you know, you have that, but then you smile because it was over. So number one, tip reframe. When every door closes, it actually opens another one. So what opens up for you now? Because of that loss, write it, get it, get input from those who care about you, put it in a journal. You know, who am I now? What qualities do you still have? Because you haven't lost those qualities. And of course, I think taking small steps to move from what was to what is. We don't have to make giant leaps, but I always think uh, an inch is a cinch, a mile takes a while. So what are the small things? But I also want to add that we think about this resiliency as being trauma and challenge. I want to put in my one point that the other thing that individuals face are opportunities because mm-hmm. I think that also requires radical resilience. So if you, a great opportunity, in order to take opportunity and, and risk moving through, here are my top three tips. What will be your energy drainers and maintainers as you go through that opportunity? Number two, live with no regrets. If you don't follow that opportunity, will you regret it later? And number three, ask yourself, What resonates more, the things I have done or the things I have failed to do? And for me, it is always that latter part, what will I miss if I don't try it? So I I want to frame it both two ways, both as, as challenge as well as opportunity. 
Thank you, Eileen. And that was a point I, I opened with in the, the top of the show that we were going to talk about challenges as well as opportunities. Quick question for you before I get Mr. Simplicity, Bill Jensen, to give us his, his observations and tips. Eileen, do you think in our culture today where we are so global, we're so instantaneous, we're so connected, it's, it's, it's almost stifling and deafening that everything is right there before we even know we want it and when we even don't want it, it's there in our faces online. And I don't know if anybody even uses email and phone anymore, but everything is just there. In terms of opportunity, do you think this has made us excited about opportunity and about change and challenge and new things, or do you think it makes us want to hold on to and not shed, I'm using that word for Kathy Dempsey, and not shed what's familiar to us? Do you think there's a fear because there's so much opportunity today, Eileen? I think we're overwhelmed. That's I think there's was so like. much yep. clutter and buzz in the, in the universe that we don't know where to look. And so one of the things that we know now in the, in, in the area of resilience, in the area of management, is the ability to be mindful. And to mm-hmm. be mindful literally is to stop, to slow down. And like I said, an inch is a cinch, a mile takes a while. Stop and breathe. Don't jump at everything. And mindfulness can also be taught. So I think it's pulling away from that overwhelm and not jumping at stuff, but really slowing down and thinking. Thank you. Very interesting. I didn't know what to expect when I challenged you with that one. You came through for me. Thank you, Eileen. Bill Jensen, Bill Jensen, talk to us. What do you observe? What are the individual's main challenges today and tips for overcoming? Earlier, Terry mentioned the word choices. And I think that is extremely important to focus on because we all focus on behaviors. Every, every fix that everybody's proposing is, an, is a do, an action. And we need to back up and realize in a very disruptive world uh, where there's so much overload, load, as Eileen talked about, uh, very often it feels like many of the choices that are presented to us are forced upon us versus that we have the choice to choose. And Terry talked also about reframing. So the, I think the most important thing in radical re- resiliency is the ability to reframe that uh, the cho- most of the choices that I have to make today are within my power and I can do it. And there are three simple things that I would ask everybody to think about. None of them are new. You've heard all three before, but think of them as an intersecting diagram. Individually, they're not important, but all three together create that radical resiliency. And one is inner knowingness or knowing oneself. Uh, Marcus Buckingham and many others have talked about knowing your strength. But what I have found, many of us are fooling ourselves. I found the 80-20 rule of inner knowingness that 80% of us think we know who we are but don't. And we've only done about 20% of the work. So really knowing who you are when all the choices are new is what you draw upon. You grow upon yourself, draw upon yourself. So one is uh, knowing yourself. Two is a willingness to be vulnerable, to put your, and Brene Brown talks a lot about this, the willingness to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable. 
because we have to accept the vast majority of opportunities that are going to be presented to us will be uncomfortable, and we need Mm -hmm. to be willing to put ourselves there. And three is knowing which sacrifices or hardships will ultimately benefit you. And this one is super, super important, the way corporations and the world is, is throwing stuff at us today. We are being asked to make many sacrifices and take on many hardships that benefit many others, like the company or our boss or the bottom mm-hmm. line, but not us. So it's crucial to be able, you're all, everybody's going to have to encounter hardship, but know which hardships will get you to your goal, to your dream. So it's the intersection of knowing yourself, a willingness to be vulnerable, and picking and choosing what are the best hardships for you for your goals and dreams. Being able to combine all three create radical resiliency. Well, wow. Thank you very much. That was uh, a lot of great information. Yes, and I appreciate the research on that, too, and the inner knowingness. Thank you, Bill. Terry Paulson, Dr. Paulson and Associates, talk to us. What is your thought? We're sticking still with the individual's challenges and tips for achieving radical resiliency. Terry? Yeah, listening to uh, the comments, it's caused me to to make one slight change in what I was even planning on saying. One is the importance of focus. It's amazing to me when you look at the time management kinds of issues, the principal days we waste time are the days we have time. There are so many things that can distract us in today's world. Television is designed to grab you with the next couple of minutes and keep you listening and sitting. What are the days we get the most accomplished? The days before a vacation. Can you imagine the amount of time and things you get done when you've got to get it done? Now, was that stressful? Yes, but productive. Focus is very hard for individuals to maintain. And I think if you want to learn to manage stress, focus your attention on the things that matter most and start your day by doing them. When you get a good start to your day, you have to, you can pat yourself on the back and you create your own momentum. So I think once you are into handling the obstacles that count, that's very valuable. Second point, I always say to people, the only person you even remotely control is yourself, and even that's in question on Mondays. So in response to that, instead of getting stuck in procrastination, perfection, and paralysis, trade that for position, perform, and persist. You position yourself where you're more likely to make a positive change. You perform in such a way to make it more likely you're going to be effective in doing that. And then you persist with the course corrections that are required in real life to really produce that result. Optimism comes from a track record of overcoming obstacles. The more obstacles you've overcome, the more likely it is that you will apply those same principles again. It's an earned and learned response. And that is one of the reasons with our children we should frustrate them more. The more frustrations they have, the more likely it is they learn resilience. If you do everything for them, by the time they reach adulthood, they have not learned how to be radically resilient or resilient at all. Final thing, I love this one. This is by Susan holden Hoxima, who is author of Women Who Think Too Much. The reason I point this out is this was done by a woman researcher, not a man. She said women should do and act more like men. Let me explain. She did Please do. Please do. I'm jumping off my chair here. Go ahead. I and think Eileen is too. Study, and here's what she found. <laughs> Women, when they face a problem, tend to call all of their friends, go through every minute detail, crystal look at the past, decide and over-talk and over-problem-solve, 
and don't have anybody in that group who says, now what are you going to do? Men, on the other hand, tend to distract themselves first. They don't talk to anybody. I don't want you to know i got a problem. I go play basketball. I play a little tennis. I let the thing percolate in my brain. I then come back and focus on decision-making. She said it is far more effective to move yourself into a position where you distract first, isolate your people who are going to talk to you, who are good at problem-solving, and create a network of people that allow you to move forward. I, so I, I wanted to put that in there. That is a woman researcher. I wanted you to feel comfortable that a woman could finally accept the fact that men in one area might be better. Well, I think we're talking about men's choice of behaviors or maybe their uh, genetic predisposition <laughs> to do that basketball. But I, I th- God, we're going to have to have this as a bonus round and go around the table and see how everybody feels about it. Terry, very, very interesting. I don't think anybody took offense at that. I think it was very insightful. And I'm a living example of how not to do it because that's what I was doing from 11 last night till 1 o'clock this morning, <laughs> calling and talking. And what do you think? What do you think? Oh, my God, if I only had read the notes from you. I could have gotten to sleep two hours earlier. Thank you very much, Terry Paulson. Good good therapy session here on radio. Kathy Dempsey, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And Kathy, we really need to have just a teeny elevator speech version of your backstory of where shedding comes from. I think this is the appropriate time. So why don't you just give us the high-level view and then tell us about individuals' challenges and tips for achieving radical resiliency. Kathy Dempsey. Sure, sure. Thanks. Uh, you know, it's interesting because it's 18 years ago on July 29th that I was working in a hospital, Memorial Hospital in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was at an ethics meeting in the morning. I ran to one of my friends, colleagues, and he said, my lizard died. And, and I was like, what? And he said, yeah, my lizard died because it didn't shed its skin. And I'm like, okay, what's the deal? And he said, well, they don't shed, they die, and, and, and the same thing with humans. Uh, we as humans grow physically and mentally and spiritually, and if we don't shed, if, if we don't grow, we die. And I said, David, well, what might our old skin represent? Uh, you know, old habits, negative attitudes, unhealthy relationships. And, and we looked at each other immediately, and it was light bulb had gone off. It was like shed or you're dead. And, you know, to think 18 years ago, I had this two-minute interaction with this guy whose lizard died, and to think that that now is the entire basis on which the message of shatter your dead. And, and it's, it's, it's really from birth to death. I mean, from the time you got your cord cut till the time that, you know, you shed your body, life is a continual process of embracing the old, uh, embracing the new, and, and letting go of the old. And, and I believe it's the number one most essential skill for work and life, and it's all about resiliency. It's all about continuing to build those resiliency skills. It's just like going to the gym. I mean, Terry said he went and worked out today, and, it, and it's the same thing. You, you continue to build your shedding muscles, and the more you build them, the stronger you're going to be because it's not if something's going to happen to you, it's when, and um, we need to be prepared for it. Thank you, Kathy. Re- really appreciate that. Now we know what shedding is. Now tell us, individuals, do you want to give us your top three tips for achieving radical yeah, resiliency? Yeah. I, I mean, the number one thing from my perspective of the challenges the individual face is fear. O- overwhelmingly, you know, studies show that 95% of people say it's the number one barrier that holds them back. And, I mean, all kinds of specific fears, but Eileen mentioned the loss. I mean, big uh, fear of loss is huge. Fear of Am I going to be able to cope with 
whatever's happening, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of, uh, am I going to have enough to support? Who's going to help me? The fear of the unknown. I mean, just fears overwhelmingly paralyze people. And uh, so it's how do you, in a resilient way, to move past that. And, you know, the first thing I, I, I just always like to remind myself and my audiences and people I work with is just to remind yourself, this too shall pass. I mean, it, it will. Everything passes. Every situation, every problem that comes, everything's going to pass. That's just what the cycle of life is. And, and to be able to remind yourself of that, then you know you're not going to be stuck here because uh, uh, it will pass. And, and, and the ability to focus your energy on the now, you know, Eckhart Tolle, he's the author of The Power of Now, said in his book that 93% of our thoughts are repetitive and useless. And when I think about that, 93%, he, he said that most of us are obsessing about the past or worried about the future, and very few of us are in the now. And that is all we have, is the now. And, um, you know, as, as, as it's been mentioned, I only talked about mindfulness. That's all you have is right in the now. And if, if we're able to stay in the now, we're able to manage the next now and the next now and the next now. And... You know, I find that people can manage just about anything in life if they have three things. And that's honesty, that's a plan, and, and that's support. And, and the support piece is really important with resiliency because we're all going to get hit with loss. But who's our support team? Who's our 911 team that we have mm. on the sidelines that's going to help us through the challenge, the situation, the opportunity uh, that we're having to deal with? And I find that the biggest step is just taking action. We all experience fear, but fear plus action equals courage. And radical resiliency requires courageous people. It, it may be one small step at a time, one minute at a time, but you continue to just take the next step and not let the situation paralyze you. Thank you, Kathy. Great insights. This is a wonderful tableau, or I'm, I'm almost going to call this a smorgasbord of insights and tips from our four very, very smart panelists. And I, I like some of the personal things. Terry, I'm so happy that you went to the gym. I, I wish I even wanted to, but maybe you'll inspire me before I do radio. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm poised on the brink of getting a personal trainer again. We'll have to see. So now we have not a lot of time left, so I'm going to do what? Let's do this a little bit faster, not talk faster, but let's do a little bit less on the second question of the day, which is how do senior managers, leaders, people at the head of some organization or starting an organization, how do they Let's get past the individual part. How do they inspire their teams, their people, to overcome these challenges in the workplace setting? So maybe some of your personal insights will apply, but let's frame this. Uh, there's a good word, frame or reframe frame this on the power of leaders to lead people through challenges, through change management, anything you want to call it, and arrive at radical resiliency. Eileen, why don't you give me your top tip, your number one, the top challenge and the top tip, and then we'll have a little time for everybody to give just one. If we have time at the end, I promise we'll go back and do more. So Eileen, from the perspective of radical resiliency for leaders today, go ahead. My perspective would be what is prompting this, quote, change, because change is, is merely an announcement. Uh, it's the transition. It's the psychological reorientation to what's going to happen to me. So I think the best thing that leaders can do is, number one, acknowledge the elephant in the room. Uh, 
we don't talk about, we don't talk enough about what's going on. And everyone wants to know, like your two-year-old little kid, why are we doing this? So I think people need to know why. And without information, they will connect the dots in the most pathological way possible and get into what Kathy said, it's fear. So I think the first thing is to acknowledge the elephant in the room and to give as much detail as possible so that people begin to understand the why. Thank you very much. Let's go to Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity. What's the biggest challenge for leaders today, achieving radical resiliency for their teams and with their teams? I can already tell my teammate panelists will probably pick my number two or three or four choices, so I'll go with one uh, that might be a little different. Vulnerability. We all talk about leadership as strength and and vision and the ability to conquer things and move forward. And what I have found the most crucial thing is the willingness to say, I don't know, I'm scared, I've never done this before, I need your help. Anything that opens up and says, I still have a clear vision, I know where we're going, I'm confident in it, but I need your help or I've never been here before, help me. Vulnerability in leaders is crucial. Wow. L- let me just expand that a little bit or ask you to explore that for just a moment. I know Terry and Kathy have a lot to add here, but Bill, how do you, how do you allow the vulnerability to come out? Do you simply stand in front of a team of three or five or a hundred people and say, Hey, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Wh- where would the perception of weakness or that vulnerability be? Damn, we don't have the right leader at the head of the room. What the hell do we do now? How do you get around that? How do you be a strong but vulnerable leader? Thoughts? I- I know one leader of a, of a Fortune 200 company that recently had a major accident uh, that really debilitated his body and not his decision-making ability. And every single person in the company wanted to know, global multinational, wanted to know how he was, how he's doing, and he refused just to, he kept it all private. And it was, it was physically mm-hmm. disabling. Everybody saw his difference. Uh, but it was, everybody wants, at the end of the day, we're all people. And we want to follow a person, even the strongest leader. We want to know that they are people. And I, you know, take apart anything. I was recently at a leadership summit in the last week, and it was about Shackleton, the South Pole explorer, and the person and who was leading it talked about every single moment of the voyage, how he was super strong, but he also showed himself as a person. And that's what leaders, that's what everyone who wants to follow is looking for, that person behind the leader. Thank you very much. I like that. The person behind the leader. Will the real leader person please stand up? Uh, Let's go to Dr. Terry Paulson. Terry, what do you see? Yeah, it's interesting. uh, Both both comments, dealing with fear uh, and acceptance and and vulnerability, that that really allows you to be confident. Children experience the fear of failure. By the time you go through school, you're afraid to raise your hand. Oh, I could be wrong. I don't. You said, there's this writer, is this profound. But when you're a leader, you're an executive, they call it the fear of success. The higher you go, the further you have to fall. And they become a block to their own progress and the ideas that can surface at any level within the organization. My one tip is to realize that as a leader, they don't want you to be an answer giver anyway. They want you to have the confidence to find the best answer within the team. 
And that means you spend a whole heck of a lot of time, instead of lecturing your people about what they ought to be doing, of doing a lot of listening and finding the nuggets of resiliency from your own team, what they have learned in creating the future. And you positively gossip the living daylights out of the people that work for you and how they've been able to manage that. You are not into impressing people. You're into leading people to do the best they possibly can. The easiest thing to not listen to is a leader's excited about themselves. <laughs> the goal is, I want a leader who has the confidence, the vulnerability, the sense that I've got a great team with me. We believe in collaborative problem solving. In school, that's called cheating. I don't care where it comes from. <laughs> I just want the best ideas, and let's make it happen. I love that. Be confident in your team. What a what a radical thought, my goodness gracious. And don't need to be the answer giver. That goes back to the vulnerability comment from, from Bill Jensen. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know the answer. Let's see what the team needs. Very interesting. This goes uh, from what I know about design thinking, about groupthink, about uh, even gamification, exploring what people know, what their strengths are, and finding new ways to bring out the best in the team and not just being that leader who is know-all and be-all. I'm going to move on to Kathy Dempsey because we're almost out of time. We're going to have about 30 seconds for predictions each. Kathy, one minute I'll give you. What is your tip for leaders to be better leaders in radical resiliency? Oh, absolutely. I would say the challenge and the tip is the same thing, and that is hiring and training people with resiliency skills. And if you're not doing that, it will be the differentiator in the future. I mean, there's a study done that 83% of organizations do not have a plan in place to hire and train people that have these skills. And it will it will absolutely be the differentiator. And if you don't have them personally, you're not going to probably be able to transfer them over professionally and vice versa. So um, organizations that want to thrive and survive uh, will need to hire and train people with these skills. Wow, very, very interesting. So start with that opportunity of people who get it and and are trainable. I love it. Eileen, I'm going to give you, oh my goodness, 30 seconds for predictions. If we met again, I'm just going to pick the time 2020, not that far off. But you know, I just love how it sounds. 2020, we know who said that. Now, Eileen McDara, what do you see will be different about radical resiliency? Will you come up with another term for us to mull over? By 2020, 30 seconds, predictions, Eileen McDara, go. Okay, my prediction is that it's another word that I have coined. It's resilience, which is preemptive resilience. Kathy said it. Resiliency is a skill that has to be learned, and it has to be practiced just like any skill. So I believe that we're going to see even more of this required and the ability to practice and learn those skills of, of responding to challenge as well as opportunity are just going to exponentially increase because the world is not going to slow down. So I think we're going to even see more of this. And I want to thank you, Bonnie, very much for continually reinforcing that notion about radical resilience, that it's not about bouncing back. It's about growing through. So thank you, Bonnie, very much for doing that. Oh, my pleasure, Eileen. Just a a wonderful topic. There's so much more here. We'll have to talk about that. Let's go quickly to Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity. Simply put, 2020, what do you see for predictions? 30, oh, 20 seconds. Go, Bill. Bill Jensen, are you with us? The reason radical is so important is from the research that I have done, we will all experience about 100 transformative moments every year. That means about twice a week, something will happen which will create a fork in the road choice for your life and your career. That's twice a week, 100 times a, a year, 
now, by 2020, it'll be 200, 300, 500. So we all need to quickly get up to speed on the radical part. Wow, wow, wow. That's a heck of a prediction. Thank you. I'm doing the math. That's a little overwhelming. Dr. Terry Paulson, 20 seconds. Predict fast. Go. There will always be new terms that people, authors, speakers use to define the need for resiliency and fresh perspectives. Uh, I, I wrote a, I was asked to be one of the 200 families at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library to write a letter that would be in a 100-year time capsule. One of the lines in my letter was, I hope you are free. I hope you can still dream dreams and make it happen. And if you can't, start a revolution to gain it back. <laughs> we will always have obstacles to overcome, but we're free to have them, and it's what gives spice to life. And uh, I love the idea that we can embrace it instead of fight it. Terry, thank you. Kathy Dempsey, 20 seconds. Predict. Go fast. Please. Wow. All i got to say is the shedding revolution uh, will be much more important because it's shed or your organization is dead. No and what questions. And, and you have a, a, a special day coming up, Shed Workplace Negativity Day, July 29th, coming up very, very soon. So everybody, you've been warned. I want to thank our wonderful panelists. Great conversation. I love the speed and the resiliency of the four of you to follow my lead. And I am a vulnerable leader, I have to tell you that. So I appreciate your hanging on and listening. I have a call to action for our audience and for everybody listening everywhere in the world. It's called, hey, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a a resilient, radically resilient game changer today. See, Eileen, I worked that in. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition. This was number 240 of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.